Hey, folks, hope you had an awesome Hanukkah and are celebrating any other holidays with great joy. I'm Andros, and... I'm Brian. And uh, we got a real treat for you this week, don't we, Brian? Oh, man, this is... I'm so excited for everyone to listen to this episode. And we have a special end-of-the-year contest for our listeners. Ooh, we're getting fancy. Getting fancy. Oh, yeah. Well, at the end (laughs) of this episode, you're going to hear an ad for Dunkin' Donuts featuring Al Pacino. And no, we don't have an exciting new sponsor. This commercial (laughs) is in the movie we're covering today. In the commercial, there are a whole mess of Al Pacino references, and we decided to run a little contest for our listeners to see if we could find them all. If you can name all the films referenced in the Dunkachino commercial, you will be invited to pick a film for us to cover on the show. And if you want, you can join us for the conversation, launching yourself into a career of international (laughs) stardom as a famous podcaster. And here's how it works. You got to send your list of Al Pacino references to us at contact at the world is wrong And please write Dunkachino contest in the subject heading because it's just fun to write Dunkachino. If more than one person gets all the references, we'll do a random drawing to determine the winner who will be announced in the intro to our first episode of the new year, which will be focusing on the hot rock. From 1972. <laughs> Look forward to it, people. Yeah. Oh, man. I want to enter this contest. I want to pick a movie for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. How many, like, <laughs> and don't say which ones they are, but how many, like, if you just off the top of your head, how many do you think you could just name? Five? I'm about yeah, the same I think way. I can do f- yeah, I think yeah. I can do about uh, five. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This is thrilling. But when you watch it, don't you also kind of feel like, Wait, is that a reference? Like, he'll say things. You're right? like, is that from a movie? Yeah. Did he say that in Bobby Deerfield? Like, like... <laughs> right there. How deep do they go? We yeah. need some Pacino <laughs> scholars for this one. So if you are that person, please, please help us out. Because it's kind of keeping me up a little bit, knowing that there are references in there that I don't know. <laughs> So we we wanted to correct one thing. This episode is devoted to a beloved to us and a beloved to a rare few uh, Adam Sandler film. And Brian, you've been, you're kind of an aficionado. You're an expert in Adam Sandler. You get invited on podcasts to talk about this guy on a regular <laughs> basis, don't you? Yeah, actually, there's a podcast I want to give a shout out for, uh, which is the Billy Gilmore uh, podcast. Uh, a bunch of great guys. Uh, that used to work at Vulcan, huge Sandler fans. And on our episode, when you listen to it, I talk about how like, we're the first people to really go through this movie. What I meant was the way we go through it. There's other people did it before us, and that's the Billy Gilmore podcast. And they've gone through ev- they're chronologically every Adam Sandler uh, movie, and it's amazing. I've been a guest on a few other episodes I did. I was on their first episode for Billy Madison, which was great. You should listen to that. And then I pleaded and asked to be on the anger management episode. So I did that one too. And then I was on the really big, huge Grown Ups 2 episode, which is like epic. I think it's like four hours long. But check them out. They're on Instagram. They're all over the place. Like the Billy Gilmore podcast is great. And it's a great bunch of gentlemen who do it. It's very fun. So did Billy Gilmore used to work at uh, Vulcan Video? 
<laughs> That's just a name. It's uh it's a play on Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. So. You're blowing my mind, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it also kind of sounds like a guy who'd be like a bass player in like a you know a b- blues band or something. Like, oh, I love the way Billy Gilmore you know plays that bass. Like, what's 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 Billy Gilmore's? Like, he's got to have that middle name, like <laughs> Billy Fat Fingers Gilmore. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> but anyways, I'm I'm very excited for people to hear this episode. This episode means a lot to me. And uh, you know what? Jack and Jill covers many holidays. So if it's if you're listening to this after Christmas or after Hanukkah or after New Year's or whatever, it doesn't matter. You can still watch this movie and it'll still be good. Basically, every day with Jack and Jill is a holiday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's get to it. Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called The Director's Wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M. Night Shyamalan, then Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to The World is Wrong Podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about Jack and Jill. Okay. Okay. You're excited about it. (laughs) Welcome, folks. This is the World is Wrong podcast, an extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films the world is wrong about. I am Andras Jones, one of your hosts. And I'm Brian Connolly, the other host. Yes. Between us, we are Andras and Brian, your hosts. (laughs) And... You gave me a really sweet <laughs> holiday gift this year, Brian. I want to say how much I appreciate it. This film we're covering has brought me so much joy, and I'm so happy to be discussing it with you. What are we here to talk about? We are here to talk about the Adam Sandler masterpiece, Jack and Jill. I am so excited to talk about this. Like I have been a champion of this movie since day one, when I saw it, opening night at the movie theater, I paid money and stood in line because I knew then it was going to be great. And I've seen it more than most movies, so I'm I'm ready for this. Wait, isn't this the worst film featuring the worst actor and the worst actress of 2011? <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going to get it. There's, there's so much the world is wrong about, but let me... Let me tell you the plot first before because like there's gonna be like a lot about how the world is wrong about this movie many levels like tear tears like there's like like i have like a chart with yarn connecting things on my wall just about jack and jill what do you think would al pacino ever do a dunkin donuts commercial (laughs) yeah shut up did my wife call uh yeah you're all set for the cruise you guys leave a week after hanukkah okay all right there's some good news yeah she converted right that's so cool she doesn't look jewish at all Wow, that was anti-Semitic. What? No, I just... See, I can say that. You can't. You're not Jewish. No, but I'm close. What does that mean? I'm an atheist. You're two for two right there. What? Anyways, did my sister say what time she's flying in tomorrow? Yeah, I was supposed to pick her up at noon, but she switched the flight to earlier, so now she gets in at four in the morning. 
Why? Something about jet lag. She never listens. She gains three hours. Every year she acts like she's flying to New Zealand. She's a freak, man. Yeah, again, you can't say that. No, I... Uh, so, plot, pretty, pretty basic, okay? You got, well, what seems like a basic plot. So you have uh, this character named Jack, played by Adam Sandler. It is the holiday time. It is Thanksgiving. Uh, so he, his sister, Jill, played by Adam Sandler, comes to visit. She annoys him. They are twins. But he is just not interested in, in their relationship. He doesn't like her. He finds her annoying. And everywhere she goes, other people are perplexed by her or bothered by her. And he is an addict, like an ad exec. He runs like an advertising agency. And the big score is they need to get Al Pacino to sign on to do this coffee drink at Dunkin' Donuts. How are they going to get the great actor Al Pacino? Well, luckily, Al Pacino, playing Al Pacino, <laughs> falls in love with Jill is the only person, one of the only people who isn't annoyed by her, isn't bothered by her because she's from the Bronx and he is from the Bronx and, and his, and like he just head over heels for her, falls in love. And so then Jack says, well, this is a great way to kind of use my sister to get Al Pacino to sign on to work for my, my ad agency. And that's the gist of the plot. And it starts at Thanksgiving, works through Hanukkah, ends on New Year's. No Christmas celebrated. I think there's Christmas lights in the background on a cruise ship, but it's not a thing that people do in this movie because it's an Adam Sandler movie. Uh, and of course, because it's an Adam Sandler movie, it's got all the actors that kind of come with Adam Sandler, his stock players, if you would. You have your Alan Covert playing the same homeless character from Happy Gilmore. You have David Spade also playing a woman. You have Norm MacDonald. You have Tim Meadows. You have Dana Carvey. All the people like from that era, that great early 90s era of SNL. So that's the movie. Pretty simple comedy plot. But man, there's so much more to this movie than that. So, Brian, you got to tell us, how is the world wrong about Jack and Jill? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the world is so wrong about this that it makes me want to move to another world. Like a world where there's at least more than five people that are right. Because I can't think of the world being so wrong about a movie. Like, this is the most wrong the world has ever been. It's it's hated by all critics. All film critics instantly and still hate it. Like, there's still, when you look it up on Rotten Tomatoes, there are still reviews coming out this year from critics about how shitty this movie is. It's like they can't shake it. Uh, people don't like this movie. People are snobs about this movie. People won't even give this movie a chance. There, this came out sort of soonish after Funny People, the uh, James L. Brooks Adam Sandler movie, and many people were like, "Oh, that looks like one of the fake, crappy movies that Adam Sandler's character in Funny People would make." So that's wrong. And then even people that like this movie, and they're few and far between, they don't quite, they haven't quite dug into what this movie's really about and what's really interesting about it, um, which there is a lot of things really interesting about it. And so, yeah, I can't think of, like, I, I kind of was like, when we started doing the show, I knew that I want, I, I couldn't wait. Like, this was my mad dog time, but I didn't want to do it right away. Like, I wanted to sit on it for a bit because I wanted to make sure we did it, like, really right. Because it, it also could have looked like a stunt pick if we did it early on. It could have been like, oh... Now they're doing a crappy Adam Stanley movie and saying it's good. So I think it was good to wait a few months 
and and just like so we can really genuinely tell people that this movie's actually good really good not just good or not just watchable but like a great great movie yeah i uh it's cliche but i i laughed and i cried in this film it was it <laughs> made it entertained me it broke my heart it was fully entertaining i loved it i yeah. loved it <laughs> and then i shared I'm it with so my happy. mother and she loved it <laughs> that warms my heart <laughs> it's a hanukkah miracle <laughs> i sent you the email she's like i cried and al pacino is awesome <laughs> So I, where do we even start with this? I feel there's so many, like I said, like I got the yarn going crisscross, like there's so much to kind of dig into and I don't want this to be longer than the movie Jack and Jill, but there's still a lot to talk about. Like, where do we even, well, I mean, here, here's an easy place to start. This movie is actually funny. I'm not laughing at it because it's stupid. Like this movie has such great comedy, like such good like, I think a few episodes back, I complained that, like, slapstick and, like, kind of visual humor is kind of lost in movies. Not in this movie. Like, this movie has sight gag after sight gag, and it's so good. Like, you you laugh consistently until you cry, of course. But, like, I guess let, let's talk about that for, for a second, because this movie's been accused of being unfunny the opposite of funny <laughs> like that's a lot of the, a lot of the critics the first thing they talk about is this movie is not funny at all it's a comedy in words only on paper they say it's a comedy but there's nothing to laugh about in this film uh, <laughs> what how do you i mean it's funny well it's not funny i don't even know how to argue with when people say it's not funny, it's like people saying it's boring. It's like I can't convince yeah. you that something I find is funny or is interesting is not boring or unfunny to you. Yeah. So it's one of those weird like at the same time, you're saying that it's not funny is the same as me trying to convince you that it is. Like <laughs> it sort of from a platonic ideal of comedy. This is a very well-written comedy. The jokes are, you know, like, it never stops. Even though there's f heartbreaking and beautiful moments in it, and there's some, I think, some seriousness underpinning the film that we'll get into, I just, it just has the rhythm of a comedy. And Adam Sandler is funny. And, you know, I could talk about moments in the film. Like, there's a, there's a sight gag where... <laughs> Where, where Jill is is playing with the jet ski in the in the swimming pool, <laughs> and it's one of those things that like if I describe it to you, it's dumb. That's <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's dumb. Like comedy sometimes is it's okay if something if something entertains you. That's just kind of stupid. That's that's what like if you watch that and you're like well that's just boring or that's not funny it's like okay i get it your life has a little bit less joy than mine does i'm sorry <laughs> but but i'm just thinking about it again and i'm laughing again so 
you so it is at le- it's funny to me <laughs> yeah and, and this is like the, the, the argument i have whenever i and i probably defend adam sandler more than any other person who makes movies and is in movies and anybody like definitely when i worked at the video store this was like the one thing that i had to constantly fight over not even fight over just like 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 i had felt like i had to like overtly champion him but i wouldn't that this not correct because i agree in the amount of championships and champions and awards and things in my mind that i give adam sandler you know like it's it's like it is funny it's always his movies have always been funny and this is like the problem with even the supposed adam sandler fans people like love his early stuff like love the snl you know happy gilmore era and then they kind of start dismissing and throwing all his stuff away and then kind of treat it like he used to be funny and then he got into this garbage. But it's like, I've been there always. Like, I've never left his side in terms of, of a fan. And I've, I've always found his movies funny. And, like, they're what you want from a comedy. They're not terribly long. He's funny. He lets other people in the movie be really funny. And it's just the joke after joke. The jokes land from beginning to end. And that's a good comedy. Like, it doesn't have to be made with an artist's eye in terms of the filmmaking. It doesn't matter. Just make me laugh. And that's what Adam Sandler is very, very good at and has always been very good at for me. And many other people. Like, this movie wasn't a failure. Like, people like... Like, there's there are people, like, regular people in this country who love Adam Sandler. There's a reason why Netflix keeps signing him for, like, six, seven-picture deals. Like, his new movie that came out recently, Hubie Halloween was a hit on Netflix. Like, so for people to say that it isn't funny, it just wasn't funny to you, or you weren't willing to find what was funny in it. The, the film, which had a budget of $79 million, that's a, that's a hefty budget for the film, but it made 149.7 yeah. at the box office. So it was a hit. Yeah. So some people liked it. You're right. Some people, yeah. it's just none of them wrote anything online about it. Yeah, it's just, it's like, it's this weird snobbery that comes with, like, it's like, I have this all the time when I champion Jerry Lewis. Not so much some people like it now, but, or like the Three Stooges, where people are like, oh, that's low, bro, that's crap, like, that's not smart. But it, it's still hard to do silly comedy. Like, you still can be a genius at being stupid in a movie. Like, that's what great comedians can do, you know? And it's just weird... It's just it's this weird intellectual war. Like I remember when Grown Ups Two came out, it came out the same time as uh, the Guillermo del Toro movie Pacific Rim, and all the film snobs online were upset that Grown Ups Two beat Pacific Rim at the box office, and Pacific Rim failed, and Grown Ups Two made like hundreds of millions of dollars, and there was like this sort of disdain for the success that Adam Sandler has, which is stupid. <laughs> And then it's just like it just keeps following him whenever he makes movies. And even when he makes a really good movie that everyone likes, like Punch Drunk Love or Uncut Gems, everyone always looks at it as the exception of like, well, he finally made a good thing in that sea of shit that he you know churns out. And they're wrong. <laughs> they're 100% wrong. Like this movie has as much interesting stuff to say as an Uncut Gems, if not maybe more, honestly. Um, so like... I just don't like this. He's not. I don't want to hear ever again that Adam Sandler's not funny. He is a comedian. He's a comedian that is popular. You don't think he's funny? Okay, well, maybe I don't think Dane Cook's funny. But I 
I with respect if you think Dean Cook's funny, good for you. Are you asking if I think that Dane Cook is funny? No, I'm just saying the war. Like, like, I don't like that's a, a silly critique of like it's not funny. If they say it's funny, then it's funny to somebody. Like comedy right. is more like it's not like horror where like yeah, it's like you're gonna be upset by violence or something that jumps out at you. You're just like gonna instinctively go ah and jump out of the way. Or if something is like really depressing, you're gonna feel sad. But with comedy. Some people are not going to think it's funny, but some. But you have to recognize that other people will. One other person will think something funny. Yeah. Well, I want to talk with you about, and so I said at the beginning of this that I, I felt like this was a particular gift for me. And maybe this can also get us into talking about Something the, the stuff that's really unique about this film and maybe informs some of the dynamic that has you feeling like you have to work so hard to defend Adam Sandler and Jerry Lewis. Uh, So I am someone who, so I'm Jewish. I've talked about it on the show. And anti-Semitism is a very difficult conversation to have feels like it's one of the it's more difficult than than talking about other oppression patterns maybe just it's it's more misunderstood like i get that like nazis are anti-semitic but other if you know as long as we're not dealing with concentration camps it it's probably not a conversation that's worth having is sort of how it's treated but this film starts right off like the the first scene with uh, with Adam Sandler, he has an assistant who starts, who's like saying nasty things about his sister and making weird references to Judaism that the Sandler character immediately is calling out is like saying, oh, there's your anti-Semitism. And so <laughs> since we started doing this podcast and I've started looking at films in a way like, oh, I'm going to talk about them, I've been noticing that usually films tell you I probably should have known this anyway, but really it's come into a really stark relief is that films kind of tell you at the beginning of the movie what they're about. And this film and the way that it creates the Jill character as this very, she's very, she's a Jewish woman. And the negativity that gets thrown at her, the 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 situations she she gets herself into or that the world puts her in feels like the film is very clearly taking on anti-semitism particularly as it hits jewish women and Mm -hmm. i feel like this is one of the ways that the film is like so i was one of those people who hadn't seen the film and i had just seen some clips and i thought that the film was the opposite of that that it was Adam Sandler and his bro humor mocking a woman like the Jill character. And I just didn't want to see that. I, I mean, that might, you know, you think that that's what you're going to get, but it's the opposite. He actually uses that sort of bro comedy quality that he has to undercut the Adam Sandler character, the Jack character, and highlight how wonderful Jill is and how wrong the world is to treat her the way uh, it does. And you mentioned that 
Uh, Al Pacino is one of the only characters in the film who loves her and recognizes what's great about her. But it's also uh, Jack's kids. You see the way that the kids relate to her. And again, they haven't been, they haven't learned the prejudice of the world yet. (laughs) And so they just see her as, uh, and I, you know, I, as a Jewish kid, I have relatives who are like that, who are like, when I was a kid, I just saw them as the most, like, just like the wonderful aunt so-and-so. And then maybe as an adult, I got more, I would be more embarrassed if they like showed up at a concert or something. And then I was like, oh, it's my, my, and even that it's like the sort of in, what would be called internalized anti-Semitism, which I feel like the Jack character is also carrying. So when I watched Definitely. this film, it really just, that was the, this, so it's a, it's very funny. And I feel like maybe there's something, one other piece I want to share here. There's a concept of a contradiction in psychology and the idea is that if there's something that like if you're if there's something you're very frightened of seeing that thing the frightening aspect of it isn't going to allow you to move any of the feelings about it but if you see if there's something you're frightened of and then you see a comedy where that thing is getting is getting pushed around or getting you like or an action film where that thing is getting punched in the face it allows you to have the emotional the, the emotions can move and that's called a contradiction. So like if you're afraid of seeing something, seeing that thing become smaller and laughable makes it easier for your brain to process the trauma around it. And so the fact that this film, which is a very goofy comedy at the center of it is really pushing this idea of like, why do we, why do we treat Jewish women this way? Um, mm-hmm. And it's funny when I talked to my mom about it, she was like, well, it's just it's women. It's a certain kind of woman, you know, and she's like, like Penny Marshall. I'm like, so like <laughs> Jewish women, <laughs> like it's so it's so it's so big that sometimes even if it's happening to you, you can't see it for that because no one ever talks about anti-Semitism. But here we have Adam mm-hmm. Sandler, this goofy ass bro who nobody who nobody likes and nobody has any respect for making a film that allowed that conversation that I've been dying to have happen, happen there and now happen here and be able to happen in a conversation with my mother that you could never get out of a more serious <laughs> exploration of it. And yeah, I think that's one of the things that that takes it from being like, isn't, is it funny or isn't it funny to what is it about you? Like, what does it say about you that you choose to hate this film that's taking on the way that people, whether they know it or not, like Adam Sandler's assistant in the film, have all of these prejudgments about certain kinds of people that, yeah, you know, like my mom was like, well, you're talking about the Bronx. Again, yeah, it's like Al Pacino's not Jewish and he, Jewish and he falls in love with Jill because they're from the same neighborhood. And there's something to that. But I just feel like that's a really powerful conversation the film is bringing up and then when you told me about Mm -hmm. it you said that you and your wife ended up having a conversation about that as well yeah we we watched the movie for the 400th time or whatever and because like i it's right like you really like the character of jill like the the trailer makes it seem like she's gonna be this obnoxious like person rolling through this destroying this movie 
but you really instantly like her. She's adorable. And I know I don't know if I don't know about you, but like I forget about it being Adam Sandler and drag, and I'm just kind of drawn into this character of Jill. Like like it's a great performance. Like I completely forget about it being Adam Sandler, and I'm sort of looking at this woman in this movie. And this the fact that like the people really the people who hate this movie, critics and stuff, really locked in on the character of Jill and being like God, she's so annoying. I hate her voice. They made her, like, the way she looks is just kind of gross. And it's just like, oh, like, just what an obnoxious, like, maybe the most obnoxious character he's ever thought of. And why would anyone want to watch this stupid movie about these stupid people? And it's like, well, okay, well, you're you're the Nick Swartzen character at the beginning of the movie telling Jack that his sister is all these bad things and him being like, you can't do that. I can do that, but you can't do that. <laughs> And it's just, and like, and it's when you read these reviews, and I don't, and it's the thing about, I think a lot of racism and anti-Semitism and sexism is people don't even realize that that's what they're tapping into. And my wife said, like, I think the people who really hate this movie, there's some anti-Semitic, anti-woman, anti-Jewish woman thing going on. They be, they they might not even realize is going on in their head. You know, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, it's like the film is saying, Adam Sandler is saying, I love this woman. And the and the world is saying, well, we hate her and we hate you, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're supposed to take those people seriously? Like, it, it, it makes you call into question anything else that they say. Like, if you hate yeah. this film... Well, if you hate this film, then you need to have a conversation about anti-Semitism to like, like be open to that conversation because you might not, it might not be at all anti-Semitic. You might have, you know, you might have another, you might, there might be some issue in this. Like maybe the way that the homeless guy, the, that, that auto character is treated, like you have such strong feelings about homelessness and you think that mocking that in any way that that turns you off. Okay. Maybe you you might I'm saying you might there might be reasons that are not anti-semitic to hate this film. But if you are on record as hating this film and you're not willing to have the conversation about how that hatred might be informed by ugly <laughs> stereotypes about Jews and Jewish women, <laughs> then I'm sorry, but then you that, then you have to own it. Then or I at least get yeah. to lay it on you because that if you're not having that conversation, and we're talking about the whole world right now, this film made $149 million, and I can't find anywhere where anyone talks about this film and anti-Semitism when in the first scene, the film tells you that that's what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, Jill isn't, like, and people write about the character Jill as if it's, like, this unheard of type of woman that would never exist in a movie ever. And, and like, like, why would they have this person in this movie like this? And I'm watching the movie and my wife is watching. And we're both like, oh, that reminds me of so-and-so. And that's like, you know, people we remember fondly, people we like, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And, and like, he's showing you a type of lady that's not allowed to be in movies, that isn't allowed to be the star of movies, you know. Uh, sure, it's a man in drag doing that. But, like, it's – there's something there. There's something about, like, you – really like Jill in this movie and you kind of don't like Jack so much. Like the opposite of what you think the movie is from watching the trailer yeah. of the movie. Yeah. Or what you think, I think, 
I think most people associate Adam Sandler with a kind of comedy that you wouldn't expect to be a champion of women or a, a it's like a certain type of woman who is usually not favored by bros. Right? Yeah. You, you just don't expect that for and I think that's part of what makes I think that's part of what makes this film really special for Adam Sandler. Uh because it really does, as much as Uncut Gems or Punch Drunk Love cha- are, make you change the way you think about Adam Sandler, I feel like this film may, has to make you change the way you think about Adam Sandler and his whole bro comedy shtick thing, because it's not coming from a place of a, a lack of awareness and... I don't know what clip you're going to have us include, but one of the scenes that, I mean, I guess we should talk about Al Pacino in this film because he is oh, so wonderful. So good. <laughs> like I, I, when I first saw this movie and I was trying to tell everybody that it's great and nobody wanted to listen, I was like, this is the best Pacino performance since like heat. Like this is the best, like this is the most good acting he's done. Like he should get an Oscar for this movie. <laughs> And what's great, too, is when you saw the trailer and saw Al Pacino trailer, you thought, oh, that'll be a cameo. He is like the third character of this movie. Like, after two Adam Sandler characters, the third top character is Al Pacino. Like, he is a star of this movie. Yeah. It's not a cameo. He is in the movie for the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, and... <laughs> And he's really funny and really great. And he just, he messes with his own persona in wonderful ways. But he has like the the, scene, the first scene in the film that made me cry. There's a scene, hope you've seen it, spoilers galore, uh, where like, the, like there has to be in a twins movie where one, where Jack pretends to be Jill to get Al Pacino to uh, to be in his commercial. And first of all, I love the way, like in a scene that could be all about gay panic or camp, neither of those, that's, that's not what it's about at all. It is total, in a movie that's so outrageous and crazy, it's so, it's just real. It's like he... May, the 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 stakes around it, the way he does it, the the jokes around it, and then the dynamic between Pacino and Adam Sandler as Jill is just is done really well. And then there's a moment when Adam Sandler, when Jack as Jill is asking Al Pacino what he sees. In Jill saying like, what do you see in me? What? I don't even know what you see in me. I'm so annoying. And, and <laughs> when Al Pacino tells Jack what is so wonderful, uh, uh, telling Jill in the, you know, why she is so wonderful and yeah, Jack's fine. And, but he's the lucky one and you're the one who has such a big heart and you're, and you see Jack realizing like, so you have this great, great actor, one of the great, greatest actors in the world, delivering this beautiful uh, elegy, this, this, like, a, a, just expressing how wonderful this woman is to this guy 
in pretending to be that woman. And as he realizes he sees his sister through Al Pacino's eyes in that moment, it's so it's so beautiful and heartbreaking. And I just it cracks me open just thinking about it. Like this is a guy who appreciates that kind of woman, that girl from the Bronx, that Penny Marshall. And he sees past what all these other people see. And because he's Al Pacino and he's giving us that, you have to listen. And I think it's, I think that's probably my favorite moment in the whole movie. It's so good. It's so good. And it's so good. Not just it transcends comedy. That's just a beautiful, beautiful (laughs) moment. That's really, really true. And it gets kind of crazy after that. We can talk about that. And there's other good stuff after that, but that, that moment just, oh, thank you, Al, and thank you, Adam. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah, like, it's just, Al Pacino's really, like, he's not phoning it in. He's not just showing up and doing, like, I'm Al Pacino in a movie, pay me. Like, he's acting, even though he's playing himself. It's, it's uh, And you, he gets to bring some of his Shakespeare to this. Like, he is a big fan. Al Pacino in real life is a big fan of Richard III and made that great documentary looking for Richard. And then in this, he gets to make fun of that and do Richard the Third on stage, and then like call someone in the <laughs> audience out for using their phone, uh, <laughs> having a freak out. Uh, at the end, he shows up as Don Quixote, and he's <laughs> fighting a, a ceiling fan. And so you get to see this side, this kind of fun side of Al Pacino that you never really get to see in movies because he's never really cast in a lot of comedies like the other time like he's really fun in dick tracy speaking of some warren Beatty, yeah uh so when he's allowed to kind of open up and have fun it's much more interesting than when like robert de niro was trying to have fun in the movie just by being like a dirty grandpa or whatever you know like al pacino's still like really acting and really doing a great job while having a great time and being totally silly uh and it just all builds to it's this is a spoiler alert, so please watch the movie. It all builds to him doing this Dunkin' Donuts commercial the, for the Dunkachino, where it's Al Pacino in a donut vest dancing and making like constant references to other great Al Pacino movies, but with donut puns. <laughs> Never thought you'd see it, but man, is it amazing! And um. and I love that it's because it's it's also organic to the Adam Sandler verse because of that whole thing of like using like in Happy Gilmore getting the corporate sponsorship was part yeah. of the plot and yeah and then in this like he so they have this great commercial that it builds up to and then it ends with burn it <laughs> like you know burn I, this. It's like Never great see. even that has this sort of like i love it it's like that end of citizen kane or raiders of the lost ark like we get to see this thing but nobody else is it's just a, a, like it's it's certainly not the thing that you want for like you're that you're expecting or you're or you even that yeah. is the top thing you celebrate about this film but it's just a an expression of what Good, what a good film maker Adam Sandler is. And he didn't direct this film, but you have to figure he was, you know, he had his finger on every aspect of it. Uh, well, it's directed by Dennis Dugan, who just, he, he does a lot of the Adam Sandler movies. Um, and according to Norm MacDonald, Adam Sandler kind of like co-directs all of his movies, but doesn't take credit for it. 
So he's like kind of guiding whatever. Like, I don't know what part he, I mean, clearly every movie he makes is so much like a part of his thing. Like it's, it's an Adam Sandler, you know, well, let's, let's make the distinction. Not like when it's, not with uncut gems, not when he's working with yeah. auteurs. So he has, there's, there's, yeah. he, when he gives himself as an actor to these auteurs, and then there's the, yeah. the Adams, the sort of the, what's the name of his the company? Happy, Happy Madison. Happy, yeah. Happy Madison, yeah. So like the Happy Madison stuff is like, he is definitely like the driving force behind the casting, the story. Like he, supposedly, no matter who wrote the script, he will he'll come in and rewrite it or with his people, they'll rewrite it. Like this movie was rewritten by his pal, Alan Covert, who played the homeless guy in this and Robert Schmeigel did a pass on it too. So it's like, he like, he has his team. He has his, his big monster. That is the Adam Sandler th- machine. So like when they say he, when Norm Macdonald says that he also directs all his own happy Madison stuff, I totally believe it in the way of like, you're on the, every day in the set. You're the star of the movie. It's your movie. So like not to, you know, spit on Dennis Dugan. I'm sure he brings a lot to it, but it's definitely like it, this is an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. Unlike yeah. Punch Trunk Love or Uncut Gems, which are an auteur's version of an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, also, what's great about this movie is it's the closest we've gotten so far to a Donnie Brasco reunion. Donnie Brasco reunion. Because Johnny Depp is in this movie. <laughs> in one of my favorite scenes in the movie, when it's Johnny Depp... Uh, in a Justin Bieber shirt uh, with Al Pacino watching a Lakers game, Jill uh, mistakes Johnny Depp for being a member of Duran Duran. <laughs> and Johnny Depp is like, yep, that's me. I'm in Duran Duran. <laughs> and so when you watch this movie, you're like, when? They got Al Pacino's movie. And then Johnny Depp shows up uncredited for a good eight minutes of this movie. Uh, and he doesn't give away cameos often. Like, you don't often get a Johnny Depp cameo. So, like... That must have been Al Pacino bringing his friend Johnny <laughs> to the set that day. And you get to see Al Pacino in a big fake beard. So it's like, I'm in heaven in that part. <laughs> now, I want to go back for one second. So you were talking about the writers. Now, uh, looking at uh, the Wikipedia post on this, it says that Steve Corin and Adam Sandler were the writers of this. And yeah. Steve Corin is... Uh, oh, is, is that the one? Wait, but you also said that... What's his name? That co uh... Alan Covert uh, and Robert Smigel each did a rewrite on the movie. Got it. Uncredited. Got it. Uh, they're, they're part of that Sandler universe. Like those guys have been there since the beginning. Right. Um, yeah. And th- this movie was also the first time that I saw Eugenio Derbez in anything. He was a Mexican comedian who was very popular in Mexico. And this was the first movie, I believe, in America where he was allowed to be in a movie. And Adam Sandler saw him being really funny and thought, I need to introduce him to the world. And since then, he's become a star of his own movies. And in this, he's really good as Felipe and Felipe's grandmother. (laughs) (laughs) Another character who loves Jill. He's another person like, and he's interesting because he is also kind of playing up the stereotype of this sort of Mexican immigrant, this Mexican-American, where he will constantly walk into a room and say sort of the stereotypical thing that you people think about these people and then follow it with, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, oh, ha, ha, you're kidding. Um, and then he takes Jill to his family sort of reunion and plays his grandmother, this very odd character who doesn't talk, but she's just like this kind of grotesque, 
older woman, uh, which is Eugenio Derbez in makeup. And he is really good in this movie. I love him always. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's also, it, let's keep talking about the people in this. There is <laughs> some great people and then some darkness in, in, the, in the, some of the cameos. Um, we get the great Jeff Pearson, who was in Rules Don't Apply. So this is now the second World is Wrong movie with him. He plays uh, Jack's wife's father. Which is, that's one of those moments where you just, again, the film doesn't say, hey, this is, these are Jews and non-Jews together, but <laughs> the Pearson, it's funny, this Jeff Pearson, he he gets in both of the this and rules don't apply. He's sort of the straight guy standing at the center of things while people do weird things around him and sort of be, <laughs> like being like yeah. slightly uncomfortable and expressing through, you know, sort of silent being silently polite and uh i don't what's the actress uh, i guess valerie mahaffey who plays the the wife bitsy simmons i feel like the stuff very subtle stuff between her well not that subtle but the stuff between her and jill over the who sits where yeah if you've ever been to a seder with a jewish family you may recognize that dynamic it's just it was just Again, that just just Jill's walk down the table to like get to her seat. That in those first two or three minutes, you just saw there were all these things that she did that were were kind of normal and human, but you could tell that they made the the Simmonses uncomfortable, and you could tell that they made Adam Sandler, who's trying to fit in with the Simmonses, I guess, yeah. in his own way, makes him uncomfortable. And a lot of these things are like the the criticisms that kind that get leveled at Jewish women and Jews in general that are not seen as anti-Semitic, but it's like, oh well, you know, she's making something out of nothing, and she's overly dramatic, and she's loud, and yeah, like all of these are like she's over the top about it, but these are the kind of things that people say about Jewish women yeah. without saying, "Oh, she's so Jewish." It'd be like, "Oh, she's so dramatic and she's so loud and she just make yeah. you know she she can't just she just can't let things go." And it's like, <laughs> there it is. We have Jill giving us this perfect <laughs> example of that in a really adorable and funny and beautiful way. And you're like, yeah. So anyway. And, Kudos to Jeff Pearson for play, and and <laughs> Valerie Mahaffey for playing such yeah. great uh, sort of straight characters. Yeah, he kind of Jeff Pearson kind of reminds me of Robert Stack. Like I'd see Jeff Pearson hosting Unsolved Mysteries in 2020. Like he has yeah. that kind of like stern white guy sort of like no nonsense sort of like he's not really frowning, but he's not smiling either. He just like he just kind of like doesn't really he's quietly annoyed or fuming about whatever's going on and they play um katie holmes plays uh jack's wife and she's like she's the type of lady you would normally see in movies yeah that is the lady you always like that's the lady you see and you having her play against jill who's the lady you don't normally see in movies and and i think they, they there's a good dynamic there as well and I think Katie Holmes, normally not in some silly shit like this, doing a pretty good job. Like kind of like she's also sort of playing the straight man to like Adam, the two Adam Sandlers, basically. She's in the middle of whatever situation they're in. 
Yeah, there's that's something that the film doesn't really go into and it references, but it's the one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about is just the is the Jack dynamic. Cuz he's it's weird. Like he's definitely like he's a guy who stands up for for his Jewishness in the beginning of the film. But he also he, he has this weird like so he married a, a woman who's not Jewish and then according to Jill, she made her convert. He made her convert, or so, and that that sort of like hinted at, but then doesn't really it doesn't really get discussed, and it just feels like there's something, and maybe the film just can't do it, like it needs for Adam Sandler to be kind of a jerk, and sort of like the the Durwood of this of this film, the guy who doesn't get it, but there's I feel like there's another movie in which that character and the reasons that he is so embarrassed about who he is and where he comes from is explored like i'd love to see you know one of these auteurs remake jack and jill as a serious (laughs) film where we get where we really get into the darkness of a guy who is run who is is so like viscerally afraid of being associated with Someone who is his ex- is exactly like him. Like that's that great scene in the in the movie theater where they're both they're eating popcorn and farting and and reacting just the same way to this movie. And the kids like you're exactly the same. <laughs> but that's I think it, the movie does it's there. It's just you're right. It doesn't go into it deeply, but there's definitely something there. There's definitely you can read this as. He's sort of like he's proud of being Jewish enough to accuse someone of being anti-Semitic, but not but he but he has this embarrassment and the shame with his East Coast sister who's coming to L.A. where he's made this career of himself, where he's surrounded himself with non-Jews and is bringing this like intense Jewishness into his life that he's trying to push away and keeps trying to get rid of her. He wants to get rid of her even before Hanukkah. Like he (laughs) wants her there for Thanksgiving and then gone. And then she stays through all of Hanukkah and then she's ringing in the new year with him. And he's just like, he's constantly trying to run away from her and doesn't understand why, why anyone would like her. Like why would Al Pacino like her? Why would uh, Felipe like her? And I think it's definitely, there's definitely like a layer to the movie. That's that this sort of like, not, not quite this self-hating Jew, but like definitely sort of like this, I'm embarrassed, like like you said, like when you're embarrassed that like a family member would show up that kind of doesn't fit in with the rest of the people that you've surrounded yourself by or whatever in your current life or whatever. Like there's stuff definitely it's it's hinted at, for sure. And this kind this gets us to one of the, I think one of the the funnier set pieces in the film when. So he's he's trying to hide Jill from the people he works with, but then his assistant throws a surprise party for him with all of his co with his co-workers and so they sort of like so they can all meet jill which freaks out adam sandler but in this scene we see jill sort of talking to and mocking comedically without sort of unknowingly mocking uh many iconic ad people like so there's just there's just there's these cameos of people that we only know from advertising campaigns, which is another just sort of one of the fun ways that the film sort of plays fast and not fast and loose, but plays with the whole idea of, OK, he's he works in an ad agency. We're going to get this 
fun Dunkin' Donuts commercial. And then we have uh, Jill making fun of Jared Fogle. <laughs> I know. The one cameo that doesn't hold up in 2020. What are you talking about? Ugh. It's the one that really holds up. It's not like it's celebrating him. It's it's like it's no. making fun of all not, these folks. Yeah. yeah. So I lo- I just, but I really enjoy it. That was just sort of, uh, again, very a very smart use of the the world that he's in, that Jack's in, mm-hmm. as a way to get. And you get all these famous people who are also probably pretty easy to get for your movie. <laughs> the ShamWow guy. Uh... <laughs> John McEnroe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and like the cameos don't stop in this movie. Like the, the Adam Sandler like can push a button and like a million famous people show up. You get Shaquille O'Neal cradling a giant ham wearing a weird wig. You know, <laughs> sure. Why not? You get uh, 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 Price is Right uh, thing with Drew Carey, which then makes means that Adam Sandler's now made two movies, each with the Price is Right house, because Bob Barker and Happy Gilmore. So clearly he likes Price is Right. Uh, you get Regis Philbin doing a diarrhea, anti-diarrhea commercial. Um, it just goes on. Like the, the people that showed for this, it's it's amazing. Uh, and I I like, let's, let's talk about just for a second, like going back to, the less funny stuff, but like, it's interesting to me that like, it's like, it was really noticeable when watching the movie that this movie is about the holidays, but it there's no Christmas. It's Hanukkah. And they talk about that. It's Hanukkah. Like he's not pulling a Neil diamond and just doing Christmas just because that's what people will expect from a holiday movie. Like he's celebrating Hanukkah in this movie. And there's a deleted scene on the DVD where Jill makes them, build a menorah as big as the Christmas tree on the cruise ship and says, well, you need to have a giant menorah there too. And they have all these crewmen come out with this giant, set up this giant menorah. And like, I think for a lot of people, a lot of people knew about Hanukkah through Adam Sandler, like not non-Jewish people, because he is such a champion of Hanukkah. (laughs) Like he has the Hanukkah song which people learned from that song what Hanukkah was and all these famous people that are Jewish. And he has uh, Eight Crazy Nights. And he's sort of like the guy in Hollywood really pushing that Hanukkah should be in a movie, even if it's subtly. Yeah, I'm kind of bummed. I didn't I didn't see that scene. I'm kind of bummed that scene's not in the film. I'd love, I just, I would love that. But it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like people that, that come out to see these movies... The people that make the Adam Sandler movies popular is are is middle America. Like that's the people that love to pay money to see or have the net. Like those are the people that love. Like these are people in like Nebraska. These are people in like like Oklahoma that love Adam Sandler, and maybe there are Jews in Nebraska I, and I Oklahoma. Know, but I mean, but I, like, but you know. I think. <laughs> we're not all like the Bronx. This, like, he's and... considered sort of like the star, like regular people like Adam Sandler movies. And yeah. I think it's interesting that he's working in these ideas. And even if it's so subtle, you don't get it right away. But I think it's sort of like we were talking about with Michael Apted with his two movies. It's like 
when you make a Thunderheart and a documentary about the same thing, you're going to reach more people with Thunderheart. Like you're going to sneak in things or not even sneak in things in your Val Kilmer action movie. And you're going to reach people who are ignorant and you're going to reach people who don't know. And Adam Sandler, I think, has always been really good at kind of putting those little things in there. Like he could have easily not done the Hanukkah song and just did some jokey Christmas thing or something on SNL. But instead he went with the less popular holiday, you know, and made a song that people like that aren't Jewish, that listen to it every holiday time. It's just, I really like that he is, he, he's not ashamed of his Jewishness and never has been. And as you're talking, it also made me think. So just like my mother, when my mother watched it, her feeling was not, oh, this is the way that, Jewish women are treated, her thing was, this is the way that women are treated. So I can totally see someone who didn't even think about the fact that this family's Jewish, but just think about, oh, well, what's it like to be a non-tradition, like someone going to California to visit your cool relative and feeling like you're not as attractive as all the people who are around him and you're not, you don't know how to talk the way they talk. And there's something about you. Maybe you Mm -hmm. have a Southern accent or maybe you are kind of heavy or you wear clothes that are, that aren't as cool. And you just, I think a lot of people can relate Mm -hmm. to that feeling. And I think a lot of women probably could relate to that feeling. Again, like I said, my mother who is a Jewish woman, it had took me pointing out the Jewish aspect of it before she would even accept it. She was like, no, this is just about (laughs) sexism and about the way women are treated. And so I guess that also speaks to the the sort of universality of it. And, and to, again, the, the, the craftsmanship of a filmmaking that you can make a film that, speaks to a wide and diverse audience while also telling a very specific story for an audience that is, you know, the closer you get to it, the more yeah. power it has. Can you just imagine yeah. someone going to a studio and be like, we're going to make a big comedy about anti-Semitism. <laughs> I think that would never have happened. <laughs> but when he, when he, okay. <laughs> well, that's the thing is Adam Sandler doesn't have to no. pitch his movies yeah. anymore. That's the great thing. I mean, he has that sort of auteur thing of like, if I'm in it, if it's an, if it's an Adam Sandler movie, it's going to make money. So I can then do something that's actually really good. And I don't yeah. have to convince you that it's good. And I, I just, I wish, you know, that's that's what I want people to do with yeah. their celebrity. No, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> woo, man. I think we're the first people to really dig into this movie like this. You know? And that's too <sighs> bad. Well, I hope we're not <laughs> the last. Like, I'm tired of the Sandler hate. I'm tired of people. Like, I think a lot of people who don't like this movie never actually watched it in the first place. I think it's like a lot of movies we cover and will cover is people have these preconceived notions. Like they look at the poster or they just hear about it and they're like, crap, dismissive. And they just they just stamp it as like, a, like this movie gets an F moving on. And and I feel that way when you read the, the reviews from people. It doesn't seem like they like maybe they watched five minutes of it and then just like phoned in their review. Or just were already coming in and being like, this movie's shit. I won't even try to think for a second about anything interesting about it. And then it doesn't help when you have groups like the Raspberry Awards. Like this movie has won more Raspberry Awards than any other movie. And I and I completely disagree 
with the Raspberry Wards. I don't know what your feelings are. I'm imagining they're similar to mine. But it's like, this movie got worst director, worst actor, worst actress, har har. Uh, worst supporting actor, Al Pacino. Like, it's just like like 11 awards. It's like, it's so bad. And supposedly, the people that vote for the Raspberries don't actually even have to watch the movie. They just can just be like, we hate Adam Sandler. He's stupid. Let's just give it these these awards of how shitty it is. And I hate the Raspberry Awards for doing stuff like that. And we're going to cover so many movies that they think are really bad. Um, because it's just stupid that they well, even exist. <laughs> I think since we've done a pretty good job of establishing that if you have overwhelming hatred towards this film, it says something about you. It's kind of nice that the Raspberry Awards really <laughs> outed themselves because... We can now hang that on them. You really, you know, you really are anti-Semitic sexist bullies over there, aren't you? So there's another there's another couple of pieces I really Please. wanted to get into with this. Uh, so first of all, we didn't really talk about the twins aspect yeah. of it. And the film, uh, again, sort of uh, referencing... Our old friend Warren Beatty, the the interviews Red. at the beginning and at the end with the twins felt very much like Reds, and the interviews with the I thought the same thing. I, I thought the same thing, and I thought like, are we the only like? I know you're going to think the same thing, and it's just like, are we the only people to make the comparison between Reds and Jack and Jill? But it really is like I think because Warren Beatty was in my head from doing recently doing Rules Don't Apply, but like. <laughs> yeah it's like this is reds this is the beginning of reds like you're putting documentary at the beginning of your fictional film brilliant <laughs> yeah yeah those were those were really great and uh yeah and so i need to tread lightly around this but i have a couple of cousins who are twins and they have a complex relationship that i don't always understand and my uh, my great grandmother, who came to this country and brought you know brought our line to this country from a little shtetl in in Russia, uh, she had a twin, and they had a very complex and fraught relationship. And so I was just kind of curious, and I don't know. I mean, usually twin movies are played for like they're either played for horror or for a comedy in a different way. But the sort of the fraught relationship between these two, it just made me want to talk to more twins about this film. Because if you go to the trouble to have all these authentic twins in your movie that you're interviewing, and then it seems like those interviews inform the script then it is sort of like that Michael Apted Thunderheart incident at Oglala thing. There's a little bit, there's more, there's a little bit more truth mm -hmm. in, in your comedic or dramatic portrayal of it because you know, actual people who, you know, you're just not, you're not just making up twins and then coming up with goofy ways of expressing it. Yeah. So I just, I, 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 do you, do you have any twins in your life? Have you, have you, thought about the twin aspect of this film <laughs> i have some friends who are twins and who've had some twins and i think what this movie gets right and that some movies get wrong is because like always in movies twins are played by the same actor or actress it's like parent trap or 
or whatever. And they, they tend to go like, like the way they portray them as identical, like usually as identical. Well, usually they're identical twins and they try to make it where like one is the loud one and one's the quiet one. And this movie starts like that, but you really do see them as two very different people where there are similarities for sure, but then they are, there is their uniqueness. And I think that gets lost in a lot of portrayals of twins. It tends to be like, we're going to kind of have them be sort of the same in a way or wear the same clothes or whatever. And because they're, I'm guessing they're fraternal twins, right? That's the one where it's a boy and a girl, right? Yeah. Maybe that's why it's different. It's different than just having them be the same. But I like that it gets into like the twin talk thing and Jack being like, I don't know what you're talking about. And Jill being like, yeah, yeah, we have our own language. And <laughs> and I, I think it just does a good job of, of making it a very believable, of, at least in my eyes, like a twit, what twin siblings are like. I could be wrong. Like I would be interested to hear if there's any twins listening or even triplets. Do they get any of this right or is this way off the mark? Like did did Dennis Dugan and Adam Sandler like really ask a lot of questions of these twins they interviewed to get some the, to help mold this movie? I don't know. But it doesn't feel false. It doesn't yeah. ring as false to me. Now there is one thing that rings as false to me. I gotta. I sorry, folks. I, if this ruins the movie for you, I'm sorry. But it. <laughs> so you have to have seen the movie to to understand what I'm referring to. So I was talking about that great scene with Jack playing Jill and Al Pacino, where he realizes and starts to really appreciate how great his sister is. And then he goes back to the ship, which he was only able to get to by by a hel- uh, helicopter from Al Pacino. Yeah. And somehow he gets the helicopter back to the ship, gets there, and finds that Jill has gone back to the Bronx. I don't know how she managed to get off the ship <laughs> and go back to the Bronx, but whatever she did... Jack and his whole family do the same thing and manage <laughs> to get off this New Year's cruise <laughs> to make it back to a, a bar in the Bronx to have a really great scene <laughs> where, uh, that again, the second time I cried in the movie, a great scene of him standing up for his sister. And you just got to not think about it, which doesn't help that I'm pointing it out. Well, I think, I mean, all those cruises always do stops at on port so my guess is they stopped at a port and they took a cab to the airport and flew away uh like they're not just on the water wait, though. like a cruise is not just out on the water but, the whole time like every day how, they stop in at a port and you wait, walk around and you play a tour wait a second you know? but how okay so <laughs> adam sandler goes to al pacino i mean jack goes to yeah. al pacino at in the evening comes back that night yeah. and jill has already yeah. left how did she get off the ship? They probably stopped at a port they, in the middle of the night. Like they, like sure while, they moored or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> or she took a pontoon, you know, took a little boat <laughs> to shore. Jill's magic. She took one of the life. She just boats. rode the jet ski. She she had she brought the jet ski exactly. <laughs> brought the jet ski. Okay, so took the jet ski. That's my one ruining moment. Now I have another like appreciative <laughs> moment, which is. So, this film was released on 11-11-11, November 11th, 2011. And 11s 
11 is kind of like twins. Mm-hmm. Right? So there, there's that. But then if you look, I, I did a little research on the Kabbalistic meaning of 11, you know, thinking about the Jewishness of this film. And I found, I'm just going to read to you from something I found online from the Kabbalah experience. We find the number 11 in the spices used for the incense burned in the temple. According to the tradition, 10 of the spices were sweet-smelling. The 11th was foul-smelling. The rabbis explain that when mixed, the foul-smelling spice created a stronger sweet smell. In a sense, the incense needs a bit of its opposite to achieve its full potential. And that feels like a perfect description of Jill. Yeah. <laughs> of like, she ha- she's the foul-smelling element that makes everything sweeter. And that may sound like it's a dig, but in terms of this, it's like that idea... Foul smelling doesn't mean that she's gross. It just means that she's the she is that element that doesn't fit that makes everything better. Yeah, like if everyone was was fitting along, fitting in with the with Katie Holmes's family, then there wouldn't be room for uh, their their kids to be as weird as they are. Like they get to be more human because Jill's around because. There's this foul smelling, this sweat stained, loud, you know, embarrassing person who basically makes it a family. Like that's kind of the definition of a family is like there's some people in your family who are annoying and you know what? You love them anyway. And that's what makes you a family. If you own like the, the people who that's what distinguishes them from your friends. Your friends are the people you choose and that you, you know, you might not want to be friends with someone and then you're not, but you don't have that choice if you're in a family that has, Mm -hmm. that's, that's healthy. Like, you know, that, that annoying person's going to be there at every, every family gathering. And in a way, that's how you know that you're a family (laughs) and you love each other because, you know, and my family knows that I am that annoying person, so <laughs> don't think I'm talking about any of you. <laughs> if you're listening, I'm, don't think that this is about you. This is about me and maybe maybe my brother. You know us. You know us. We're a little bit weird. But, <laughs> but you love us anyway, and that's how we know we're family. So I just I felt like there was something. I don't know if, if Adam Sandler intended that, but that might just be... Uh, I'm sure that he intended for 11, 11, 11, and maybe there was an awareness of the twins thing. And who knows? Maybe he's got some Kabbal- uh, Kabbalists in his life who said, hey, you know, 11, 11, 11, man, get that foul smelling uh, 11th part in there. <laughs> that's amazing. I love it. And Al Pacino's like, God, oh, that's the part I love. <laughs> <laughs> Let me lay in your sweat stain. Mm. Oh, I'm so it makes me so happy that you really like this movie a lot. I wasn't expecting you to. Like I really thought that maybe you were gonna be like, I don't know, Brian, I don't know. So I was really happy. It makes me very happy. Really? Like I like I always hope when I pick these movies that you are gonna really like them. But like I wasn't expecting you to really, really like it in this way. I don't know. Just because I'm so used to uh, people not liking this movie yeah. so much. Like, I think I'm used to showing it to people or telling people about it and them just kind of giving me a pat on the back being like, okay, sure thing. <laughs> really? So most of the, so, so I, I guess I was under the impression that most of the people that you shared it with, uh, 
came around to it, but that's not the case. I think that it depends on the people. Like it's like strangers. It's a weird thing where it's like there's. I think they didn't give it a chance, but like I've definitely converted a lot of people in general to being Adam Sandler fans through this movie. Like this came out at a time when people had completely written him off, at least movie people. So at the video store, I was like really pushing this and really pushing Growing Ups too. And that's my boy and being like, you need, these movies are amazing. You need to see these movies. And so I definitely converted like the Vulcan video staff. And what's interesting is like a lot of my friends like that see it. Like I had a couple that watched it. She was Jewish. She loved it. He is not Jewish. He hated it. (laughs) And, but she is like this very, big personality great jewish woman that freaks out a lot of people and a lot of people have told me oh like she's her personality is just like it's a lot to handle sometimes and i love her i think she's amazing and i think it's great and of course she loved the movie he did not like the movie as much i think that was really funny um what's interesting is whenever this i put i would put this movie on often in the store at vulcan and it would definitely like pull people in. Like people would just be waiting in line and being like, what is this? Cause they would be enjoying it. And I'd be like, Oh, it's Jack and Jill. And they were like, well, I heard that movie was terrible. And I'm like, well, clearly <laughs> you heard wrong cause you're enjoying it. And this movie's good. And so people were definitely like, once they actually were forced to watch it, then they, most of them like it, but there's a lot of people that just don't like it so much. It's, it's like the Paul Malov of films. You know, like, you're soaking in it. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I, like this for whatever reason, like I'm not a Jewish woman. So I, like, I don't know why I am drawn to this movie or Adam Sandler, but like, I like this movie more than any of his other movies. Like I've seen this movie no less than 30 times, like actually sat and watched it. And I'm always thinking of the quotes from it. Like, like the, the, where were you? That the bird always says. <laughs> I'm always, I always think that, or the or the line where she says Skype. What is that? It sounds anti-Semitic. Whenever someone talks about Skype, I always think of that line. Uh, or Al Pacino just yelling popcorn. It's just this movie just burned its way into my brain. It's just like a part of my life that I will never stop watching it and never stop championing it. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, so Whew. while we're. While we're on the subject of Adam Sandler, uh, you mentioned the his new film, Hubie's Halloween, which will, it's not as new when you're hearing this, but I've already heard one <laughs> withering and terrible review of of it. You've seen yeah. it, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Good. I just wanted to give you an opportunity <laughs> to celebrate it because... <laughs> People who are listening to this may have heard the same it's, it's bad a, reviews a, that like, I heard. It's, it, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't go as deep as this movie. Like, there's not as much subtext, but it's like a really funny, fun kind of like you don't get a lot of good fun family Halloween movies. It's, it's got all the crazy over the over the top humor. Steve Buscemi is great in it, as he is in every Adam Sandler movie he shows up in. And it's Sandler again playing like a weird character. And the movie also kind of speaks. The movie's interesting because it speak it has the subtext in this one is it's about him and his movies. Because he's about this he's a, he plays this character that everyone in the town hates and everyone thinks is an idiot and is disgusting and just a worthless piece of shit. But he's actually really right, and he's actually like smarter than everybody else. 
and better than everybody else. And so it's definitely like making a comment on uh, maybe the hate that, I mean, and, and again, like with Jack and Jill, everyone's instantly like dismissive of it and says it's crap. And people, the few reviews I read have referred to it as, this is the vengeance that Adam Sandler is having on the world for not being nominated for Best Actor for Uncut Gems. <laughs> As if that's how anyone would make a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like, it's, but like, and I only read these kind of reviews for his movies. I don't see this kind of stuff for any other crap or any movie that people don't like. For some reason, people really, really want to hate Adam Sandler. And even when they get one back by Uncut Gems... There's something about it hmm. that they really want to make. Like, there's something about where they're prideful of their hate. Where like critics can't critics can't wait. Yeah. To be like, I will write the most hateful, scathing review of an Adam Sandler movie. I will shit on it the biggest. And it and it and I think it makes sense that like I'm as equally obsessed. And they're right next to each other on my shelf in my movie room. Jerry Lewis and Adam Sandler right next to each other. Like, and they're both people that a lot of people hate and a lot of people don't like. I wonder why. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what, do they, why. what do they have in common? <laughs> so maybe I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just saying maybe maybe we should have a conversation about anti-Semitism from time to time. Maybe we and should. And you, yeah, if Adam Sandler is the guy who's making this conversation happen, it just it gets harder and harder to dismiss him as an artist. Yeah. If that's what he's doing, if he's a great actor in all these in these films by auteur directors and an incredibly successful comedic actor in terms of people liking his films, not critics necessarily. And if he's actually taking on anti-Semitism and saying, if you hate, if you're proud of hating Jill or of Adam Sandler, then maybe there's something that's behind that that makes it even if it's not what motivates you what is it about you that recognizes that if i pick on adam sandler people will celebrate me <laughs> and say that's great in a way that isn't doesn't happen if i pick in like no one would say that stuff about ava duvernay and nor should they i mean she's great but if you came out and was like we're like Oh, Ava DuVernay, she's so pretentious. She thinks she's all that. Oh, blah, blah, blah. You'd be, people would be like, yeah, dude, uh, that's a kind of weirdly sexist and racist. I mean, <laughs> you could make a criticism of it, but if you're just having fun kicking her, then yeah. we're going to defend her. But something yeah. about Adam Sandler says, in the culture, yeah. says, yeah, kick him. We love it. And he can love, take it. Yeah. We yeah, yeah, have fun. We all love picking on that. Even if I didn't see Jack and Jill, I'll use it as a punchline because I know that people will laugh. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're motiv- motivated by that. But if you're not questioning it and if you are just happy to like to make sort of bullying jokes to the crowd, which I love, we'll get at the end of the movie. There's a great scene where uh, Jill's getting bullied by these awful girls who I didn't re- even realize that one of them was being played by uh, David Spade. <laughs> uh, I hope you thought it was a but, real woman. <laughs> I did. <laughs> oh man, that's great. <laughs> and when, uh, you know, 
I just loved when uh, they st- when when Adam Sandler and Jill when the when the two Adam Sandlers stood up to them. It was was great. Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of standing up for each other in this movie that also was like a real contradiction. That's one of the the sort of internalized anti-Semitic things for Jews is that feeling of like nobody's ever going to like when the when the mob turns on me, nobody's going to have my back. Which is one of the you know maybe one of the things that I like about you is that you're such a passionate defender of these Jewish artists that it just makes me feel like oh well, you know. That's a that's what a good ally does. <laughs> I have a tattoo of Shemp Howard on my body, so I have to be a defender for life of of, of Jewish people. Yeah, that's like so. that's like the that's what I Jews got for. at the one funny concentration <laughs> camp. You know, just put Shemp Howard on all the arms. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so, anything? Oh, I, I I wanted to ask you one other question from the Adams on the Adam Sandler tip. Are sure. there any other films, because we may not get to them, you know, this is might be our Adam Sandler film for a while. Yeah. Are there any other Adam Sandler films that you think are candidates, and probably all of them, but it, but specifically one or two that you feel like are real candidates for the world is wrong treatment, or that people should check out as being much better than what they've heard? That's My Boy is really interesting. And it deals with the subject matter that's covered in made in the 80s comedies of like, the hot teacher hooking up with the student, like private lessons, the Sylvia Crystal movie. And so it co- it's about that. And the teacher's played by Susan Sarandon. And it gets into more of the Mary Kay Letourneau territory of like, this is actually really inappropriate and not cool at all. Even though all your friends are petting on your back being like, awesome. And it goes into basically like, no, no, you were molested. You're being molested by your teacher, which is dark. <laughs> And the movie like really gets into that, and but it's in within the context of this guy was laid by his hot teacher comedy starring him and Andy Samberg, and it's brilliant. And it's by uh, the guy who did the show um, <clears throat> Happy Endings, and he his new show with Don Cheadle on Showtime. What's that show called? It's the guy he did that Black Friday. Is that what it's called? Black Monday. Same creator of that wrote this movie, and it's there's a lot of, again. A lot of subtext, a lot of layers, much smarter than you think, but still works as a really zany, crazy, over-the-top Adam Sandler movie. Like, that movie has a lot going for it, for sure. So that's, that's I think, the next one. Like, if you've seen Jack and Jill and you're kind of on the vibe that we're going on here of read, actually thinking about it and reading into the more smart stuff in it, That's My Boy also, I think, fits very well into that kind of comedy. Cool. That's My Boy. I've seen it. It is yeah. funny. Yeah. That's just like the year after, after this one. Yeah. Hi there. I'm Ankara Savelle. And I'm Shauna Lane. And we're the Gone Girls. Come listen to our podcast, The Gone Girls, on the Paperhouse Network. We're two comedians based out of New York City, and we podcast bi-weekly or whenever we feel like it. Need to figure out life? Us too. And we do it by interviewing anyone. We dive in deep with comics, improvisers, club managers, doctors, waitstaff, Mostly from the comfort of Shauna Subaru. We are trying to figure out how to get through this thing called life with our senses of humor intact. Join the Gone Girls on the Paper House Network. So we can also find you, Andros, on your own show, The Radio 8 Ball Show, where you ask questions and the questions are answered by songs picked at random and then they're interpreted like musical tarot cards. And you have had many times where you've dealt, where you've talked about anti-Semitism. 
not via Adam Sandler, but just in its own own way. Was there any discussion in particular, like an episode that you think is like a good one that like kind of goes into some of these subject matters? <laughs> well, it's a good one, but it's a bad one. Uh, I did. So I guess that's one of the other things that I love about this film and just this conversation is like, this is the first time that I've been able to have a conversation about anti-Semitism that hasn't been an argument <laughs> or hasn't devolved into getting attacked for it. I mean, who knows? Maybe I don't know what's going to happen after this, but uh, even if I do, I feel like at least we'll get attacked for it together <laughs> as opposed to just people picking on me. And a pretty good example of that is the episode that I did with a singer-songwriter named David Rovix, a really, really great songwriter, uh, a great episode. And in the episode, we're able to have a conversation that's pretty good, but afterwards, and, if, and you'll see and if you check it out and you'll, you'll hear in my introductions to it and whatnot, that it led to just a lot like a very ugly season for me and Olympia getting uh getting attacked by uh my neighbors <laughs> like like uh, online not actually wow. physically attacked thank goodness so uh yeah so i i guess in the in the if you're interested in having or having more of or hearing more of a conversation about that you could check out that episode and david also is a big critic of Israel, which is something we didn't talk about, but that's one of the big divisive uh, conversations that comes up when trying to deal with a conversation about Jewishness mm -hmm. and anti-Semitism. Uh, I'll just say for the record, if anyone's listening, I am a critic of Israel's policies as well, but I'm also conscious that a lot of conversations that are critical of Israel can end up tipping into a conversation oh, that feels yes. anti-Semitic, just like <laughs> being critical of Adam Sandler is okay, but it, there's times when it can tip into anti-Semitism. And so finding that line and being able to communicate about it is really, yeah. can be very difficult. And uh, while I definitely encourage people to check out Radio 8 Ball and check out those episodes, I just, uh, I, I want to take this moment to just say, uh, you know, thank you for sharing this film with me and for allowing me, like it's, this is a Hanukkah <laughs> miracle, allowing me to have a conversation. I actually even asked it on one of the most recent episodes of Radio 8 Ball. I asked, when will it be easier to talk about anti-Semitism? And I thought that I was asking about something that would never happen. <laughs> and then here it is just a couple weeks later and we're actually having it and it's not an argument and we're laughing and we have smiles on our faces and we got to see a great yeah. funny movie and both as guys be allies to women in that conversation too. It's just yeah. all goodness. So I don't know what the, I don't know what the year is going to bring. We're around the solstice, the dark time of the year, but I feel like this, this episode has really been a festival of light. Hooray. So, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh should we tell the, the listeners where they can find yeah i always do it you want to try it you want to try telling people sure where they can find us? <laughs> i'm gonna mess this up i have a terrible memory of things so we are on the paper us network hooray and you can communicate with us on instagram at the world is wrong podcast uh i run the i basically run the instagram i will answer your questions uh we recently i don't know if you've looked through our mail we have a fan uh a, a man reached out to us 
and he asked if we would do some movies. And I think there's other people should do the same thing. I think it'd be great uh, to request stuff and we will definitely consider it and definitely think about, uh, ideas for, you know, episodes. Like we, we don't have to pick them all. Like if you have an idea out there, you know, tell us, but there's a man named Galen Howard. If I'm saying his name wrong, I'm sorry. But he asked if we would like to do like where the Buffalo Rum, which I think is a great idea. I love that movie. And that was definitely a movie that gets overshadowed by Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and where the Buffalo Rum is great. So that's a gr- thanks for that uh, recommendation. I think that might be a future episode. Great idea. So keep sending us ideas. Keep reaching out to love us. Love that film. Uh, so like, I think, yeah, that's where you can find it. We're on... Uh, <laughs> where where else can we find us? I'm terrible. That or I, I <laughs> let me let me jump in and help you out here. We uh, the website is yes. theworldiswrongpodcast.com, and if you want to send us an email, you can send us emails at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, I think I think you, other than that, you you, you nailed it there, <laughs> Brian. Bravo, Mazeltov. And uh, you can find me on the director's wall with AJ Gonzalez. Uh, we are taking a hiatus because we are because uh, we're recording this in October, also known as Shocktober. And I follow the strict rule of only watching horror. That's my, the household rules. Only horror for the whole month. So I'm deep into watching all the Friday the 13th movies again on Blu-ray. Um, so no no new Coppola news other than maybe, maybe now is when we're at Rumblefish. <laughs> maybe it's the... I'll just keep saying that until we get it. I'm going to guess by mid-December, Rumblefish? I'll be totally wrong. Who knows? But the- <laughs> And... and- Maybe, maybe it's possible that that there's people out there who haven't listened to the whole M Night Shyamalan yeah. episode uh, season, Go. or caught up on all of the other Coppola films yeah. that you've covered. And so, I'm uh, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I highly recommend people check yeah. it out. Yeah, and I I'm going to be making an Instagram for that soon because it's been helpful with our thing. And so I thought maybe. Maybe I should go on the internet with the other podcast. Maybe it'll attract some people to listen to it because that podcast isn't lucky enough to have a nice network like Paper House. We're just blown in the wind, hoping that people catch us. <laughs> well, it's great. And uh, and what are we going to be covering next week? Brian? Well, man, I'm excited. We are doing more John Bryan, as if you couldn't handle it. Well, we're going to make you handle it. It's going to be amazing. There's so much John Bryan you didn't even knew existed in this world. Yeah, the John Bryan part one that focused on just his film score work. It ran like a normal length of an episode. And then when we started to dig into all of the artists that he's produced or performed on their records or just his own solo career or as a member of bands... The episode just got longer and longer and longer. And we thought, you know what? This feels like a New Year's. Feels like kind of like a New Year's party. You know? That's, yeah. You could. Uh, yeah. We're all going to be, a lot of us are going to be, most of us, the, the the smart ones of us are going to be celebrating New Year's pretty much alone. So we got to find our parties where we can. And so you get to party in this episode with people like Amy Mann, Kanye West, uh, Fiona Apple, Beyonce, Mac Miller, 
Who who in the John Bryan episode would you most like to spend your New Year's with? Man, you know what? I'm gonna go easy and say I'd like to spend it just with John Bryan. He seems like he'd be in, he'd be entertaining enough. He can play all these instruments. I can just request a whole jukebox of songs, and he'd be able to play them for me. You know what? I would go with that, but I would do it as a seance to Tom Petty, who he played on his record. So we could get together with John Bryan and then summon the spirit of Tom Petty. And I'm, that, I'm sure that would lead to this crazy improvised musical session and we'd go into all these exciting places and Tom would would emerge from the earth and give us a message for the for the rest of the 21st century. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, I can't promise that's going to happen, but you might might feel like that. It might feel a little bit like that if if you enjoy the episode. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to. And then 2021, surely to be one of the most joyous years on this planet. Yeah. We hope. Uh, and now we're about to hear the Dunkachino commercial we told you about at the beginning of this episode. If you can name all of the Al Pacino references in the Dunkachino commercial... Please send them all to us at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com. And if you get them all, you get to choose a film we will cover on this podcast. And if you like, you can join us on the show to talk about it. And now it falls to me to let you all know that uh, I know it's rough, but uh, just remember wherever you are, the world is wrong. And it's probably wrong about you. Something's brewing at D&D. Wow! Al Pacino! It's not Al anymore. It's Dunk. Dunkachino? Don't mind if I do. What's my name? Dunkachino. It's a whole new game. Dunkachino. You want creamy goodness? I'm your friend. Say hello to my chocolate blend. Attica, who are light. This whole trial is out of sight. They pull me back in with hazelnut too. Caramel swirl. I know it was you. Everyone wants my Dunkachino. Can't get enough of my Dunkachino. Kids from 7 to 17 lining up for my Dunkachino. What's my name? Dunkachino. Dunkachino. And boom, there you have it. It's actually 32 seconds, so I gotta lose two seconds. Maybe you can tell me what, what part you would lose, but I think we are getting there. Burn this. Radio 8 Ball. Andras here. When I'm not co hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8 Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tignataro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8 Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show. 